Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. This podcast is focused on evolving the U.S. clinical trial infrastructure for faster, more efficient clinical trials and better emergency response. From the 2023 DBARM Disruptive Innovations to Modernize Clinical Research Conference. For more information on the DFARM conference, editorial, podcasts, or webcasts, visit dfarmconference.com or theconferenceforum.org. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. So with this panel, we have uh, Jennifer Roberts, who's director of the Resilient um, uh, Office at ARPA-H. We have uh, Dr. Brian Anderson, who is the Chief Digital Health Officer at MITRE, and we have uh, Grail Sipes, JD, who is an Assistant Director in Health Outcomes Research for uh, the White House OSTP. Alphabet soup again, guys, right? So let's start with the first question of, Grail, what's OSTP? (laughs) I'm so glad you asked. Uh, OSTP, the Office of Science and Technology Policy, is an office within the White House uh, that has existed for for decades, um, and uh, its job is to advise the president uh, on all aspects of science and technology and to advance American uh, innovation in science and technology. Uh, uh, Our director is Dr. Arthi Prabhakar. Um, And one interesting thing to know is that prior to this administration, OSTP worked across a number of different areas but did not have a particular focus in health and life sciences, but now it does. And we have a health outcomes division, which is where I work. Um, And so we're very, very focused on using science and technology to improve health outcomes. Thanks, Grail. I think you're starting to see why I have goosebumps with this panel. Brian, would you mind um, explaining to us a little bit about MITRE? Absolutely. Um, So probably many of you have not heard what what MITRE is. Um, MITRE is a not-for-profit that was started about 60 years ago, coming out of World War II, when a lot of the very smart people that were working at the time for the Defense Defense Department were moving back into the private sector. Congress uh, developed legislation to create what are called federally funded research and development centers, or FFRDCs, if we're going by the uh, alphabet soup. Um, FFRDCs have a uh, congressional mandate to have no conflict of interest in terms of um, the, the services that we offer to the federal government, which essentially means we don't sell anything commercially. Our primary goal is to be a trusted business partner to our sponsors, which are the federal government. So we do innovative things um, across a variety of different sectors. MITRE started in the defense space. Uh, I help lead a lot of our strategic efforts in the digital health or health space, which is where we get the, have the awesome opportunity to work with people like Grail and Jen and others uh, throughout HHS. Thanks, Brian. Okay, ARPA-H. Jen, that's a hard one. Yeah. So hi, I'm Jen Roberts, Director of the Resilient Systems Office at ARPA-H, and ARPA-H is the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health. So we're brand new, we're a startup agency inside the federal government, which is pretty unusual. And if anybody's heard of DARPA before, DARPA started the internet, self-driving cars, GPS, foundations behind the Moderna vaccine. They have an interesting scientific discovery model focused on breakthrough technologies. Folks uh, try some type of moonshot for three, four years. We get folks 
plenty of resources to try these crazy ideas and hopefully some of them work. That's the business model that we're bringing over into health to say how can we revolutionize and jumpstart lots of breakthrough tech and breakthrough biomedical research in the health sphere. I am privileged to be on this stage with all of you and to build off of the discussion that we had earlier um, with Mickey and ONC. And I know, Grail, that you've been working with ONC and ARPA-H and MITRE and the FIRE community um, with some synergies to the Moonshot Initiative um, and the um, biodefense strategy in clinical trial improvements. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, um, and I too feel incredibly lucky to be able to work with these folks um, and others in this space. Um, within OSTP, we're working on a clinical trials readiness initiative to try to improve sort of our ability as a community to do clinical trials, to make them more efficient, faster, and to be able to do them on a, on a larger and sort of more broadly distributed scale. Um, and um, so one of the ways we are able to do that is because we are positioned within the White House, we're able to work across agencies um, and really figure out how to coordinate and orient different efforts to try to make them uh, amplify each other. So I guess that's how I would describe it. I know we'll get into more of this um, as we go through the discussion, but obviously uh, we heard from Mickey this morning, ONC has got such a huge role to play. Uh, we're looking to um, uh, you know, uh, uh, ride on top of, to use Jen's phrase, a lot of the standards that um, ONC is putting in place. ARPA-H has got some really exciting um, uh, visions in this space, which Jen will talk about a little bit. Brian's been a key player, um, and uh, Amy and others um, within the accelerator community um, are also a big part of thinking about the, the uh, data capture, data standards piece of this um, in terms of the challenges facing us. So uh, it's really great to be able to work across all of those entities, and I know we'll get into more of that, but that's, that's sort of uh, our role. Thanks, and we're gonna be really organic here because it's this is fun, guys. It's what an opportunity, right? So they're gonna jump in and, and add on to each other's uh, thoughts as we go through. Um, you, you know, you brought up um, the, the different areas of um, uh, working with the fire accelerators and so forth, and recently you put out two RFIs, one that was more general around clinical trials and one that was more specific to data capture and so forth. Um, what were you hoping to learn from those RFIs? Okay, uh, so RFI is another great uh, acronym within the federal uh, alphabet soup. It stands for Request for Information. So what, what could possibly be more exciting than the government um, asking people for information? But we were really excited about these RFIs <laughs> because you, you, you can't just go out and pull people, right? You have to, there's a very prescribed way of doing things. And so when you're at OSTP, if you wanna know what people are thinking, you have to put out a request for information. Okay, so we, we did two of these, and I would say the goal at a high level uh, was both to um, get information back on a series of topics, which I'll get to in a second, which we did. We got a tremendous response, which was really, really helpful to us, but also to at least begin to lay out what, what we thought might, you know, lay out the foundations of some of the 
issues that we thought were key or important. So in the more general RFI, which was about improving the clinical trial infrastructure generally, it was about, you know, how do we ag reach agreement? Um, you know, if you want to do something across a broad number of sites, how do you reach agreement on some of the key things that are stumbling blocks in advance um, of having to do the trial, you know, on things like data sharing, um, you know, in the case of an outbreak like COVID, should there be some kind of federal level governance or thinking about what kind of protocols are most important to deploy on a large scale? Um, how do we get together a warm base of research so that there's more training and readiness? How do we get into communities? How do we make the populations more diverse? As everybody knows, that's a, a major, major problem um, in, in all kinds of trials across the country. Um, and uh, so, so that was sort of the, the, the main RFI, but we also, from the beginning, and Jen at that time was my colleague at OSTP, we worked together on this, uh, we wanted to, um, and this is something that was very much part of Jen's portfolio, we wanted to think about interoperability and data challenges at the, at the outset, at the beginning, rather than running into those challenges like a brick wall at the end of the, of the policy process. And so we did a companion RFI pretty much at the same time that sort of said, how are we gonna use common APIs, you know, to make sure that we can push out protocols and gather a consistent set of data elements if we wanna do, um, you know, larger, faster, more efficient clinical trials or just to make any clinical trial more efficient. Um, and so uh, the RFIs really helped us both get back a lot of um, good information and also helped us try out some ideas. Thank you, and thank you for being interested in what we have to say as a community. I know a lot of groups responded to, um, to your RFIs. Um, I think the, the question everyone thinks about when they ask, uh, and here you're working in clinical trials, I'm going to say clinical research because I have an issue with the word trials, but mm -hmm. in clinical research, but are you just looking specifically at clinical research, are you looking at translational research, and this is for any of you, um, what exactly kind of research are you, are you really focusing in on, or is there one specific? Yeah, I'd say we're interested in, in both of those, right, because we, we want things on the clinical side. We, ARPH, uh, are going to be developing all kinds of next-gen type um, therapies and platforms, so ultimately we will also be interested in that translational, so ideally, what we want is to be able to create a distributed clinical trial infrastructure that can accelerate our ability to get next generation uh, approaches uh, tested um, and into the real world. Okay, you brought up next gen uh, ideas, so I'm, I'm gonna have to ask it, guys. Randomized controlled trials. Where are we at with that in our vision here? Our, it's a gold standard. But there's a lot of other things that people are talking about right now. What are your thoughts about randomized controlled trials and other models that we could use? It's a great question, Amy. Um, so, you know, I'll offer my perspective. Um, and it's informed by, you know, I'll start with five, six years ago uh, at MITRE, we launched an effort with um, Monica Bertinoli, who was then a surgeon at Brigham, around how do we rethink doing clinical trials in a more pragmatic way, um, in a more simplified, more straightforward way using, you know, real-world data or, or data that was captured as close to the standard of care as possible. And we did that and envisioned doing that still 
in a way that leverages randomized control trials. Because to your point, gold standard, it controls in a wonderful way for a number of confounders and biases. That being said, you know, one of perhaps the most painful lessons I think many of us learned in the pandemic was that sometimes we don't have time to set up an RCT and to manage an RCT. Sometimes we want to leverage uh, prospective observational efforts and doing that with the kinds of clinical infrastructure that Grail and Jen are looking to, to build and invest in might be the best answer, right? In the next pandemic or in an urgent situation where we need real world evidence um, that might, we might be okay with a level of messiness and we don't necessarily need the kind of randomization. Um, that can be okay. Or it might be another use case where it's post-market surveillance and we don't necessarily need the kinds of RCTs that, that we're used to when we have new novel molecules. So, you know, I think in sum, to answer your question more directly, we're looking for randomized control trials in addition to other uh, manners or methods of conducting clinical research in this space, leveraging the infrastructure that, uh, that Grail is speaking about. I think that's exciting. I hope you guys are excited about that too. Um, I love hearing that uh, it's not just going to be status quo, but that you're being so open to how can we do this in a completely different way without giving up what we already know works. I think that's what's really important. We, we wanna stay somewhat within our comfort zone, but we also wanna make sure that we're reaching out and doing clinical trials in a way, I just did it, clinical research in a way that is, um, is more progressive. So when we were talking about you know, oncology and so forth, the, we all that work in uh, the pharmaceutical industry have many therapeutic areas that we serve. And so all of them are equally uh, important to us and to our friends and our families and even ourselves who are the patients that make up clinical uh, research. But as you're looking forward to making this uh, clinical trials infrastructure in this new world, I'll call it, um, is there uh, going to be for all therapeutic areas? Is there one you're focusing in on? Is there maybe one that you want to start with? Um, what's your thoughts about that? I'll, 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 I'll uh, comment on that one. I think that that's uh, a, a, a really good question. and. Um, we, we, we definitely want to build an infrastructure that works better across therapeutic areas because we want to get out of you know, silos generally. Uh, that said, I think that there are certain areas that could be good as initial use cases, um, and cancer is definitely one of those. Um, probably every single one of us in this room has been touched by cancer somehow, either us or someone we love. Um, uh, and there are a number of reasons why, um, you know, the, the Biden administration has made uh, the cancer moonshot a huge priority. The cancer moonshot is actually located in the same office where I work, so we have a lot of synergies and work closely together. Um, so I think that as we think about how to uh, bring clinical trials into communities, make them more diverse, make them more effective, bring in the patient view, all of those things. Oncology is a great use case to look at doing all of those things. Um, and uh, I think that that's something that's very much on everybody's radar. At the same time, we also want to be uh, readier to handle outbreaks um, than we were during COVID um, from the research perspective. 
Um, and we also want to look across other therapeutic areas for sure. Um, you know, there are many chronic diseases that, you know, cause just as much misery and, uh, and, 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 you know, are just as much of a, a, a cost in many ways on the system as, as cancer is. Um, and so uh, we, we definitely want to look across uh, therapeutic areas, and um, it's just a question of figuring out what are some of the initial uh, use cases for, for demonstrations. So I completely agree, Grail. Um, one other way of looking at this, so when we think about the extensibility of an approach that starts in cancer and moves out to other domains, you know, there's this concept that you may have heard uh, from many in leadership in NIH uh, of a standard health record for research. And when we think about how it, start, how it can start in cancer, right, taking a pragmatic clinical trial approach, leveraging something like, um, you may have also heard of the minimal common oncology data elements or M-code, right, that doesn't necessarily need to be just for cancer, right? The approach that that leverages and the downstream benefits to engage uh, FQHCs or rural clinics or critical access hospitals where you have a minimal set of data elements that is specialty specific, focused and enabling the, the collection of the minimal set of data elements that you need for your primary endpoints, you can do that in cardiology, you can do that in pulmonology, you can do that in immunology. Um, it's really about a framework-based approach that you can extend out to different domains, but having that specific use case of research in mind. And so I think that's one of the things that gets us really excited is what is that standard health record for research broadly look like starting with cancer, but moving to other domains, engaging as diverse uh, and uh, equitable set of, of, of patients that can be part of these studies uh, across our societies. The last thing I'll say about that is, uh, because Mickey spoke, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up you know, the, the, the trust exchange framework and common agreement, or TEFCA, if you heard about that this morning. Um, what that will unlock is a broader framework of trust that allows this data or these data sets to be exchanged from health systems to research organizations. You know, you even contemplate directly from a patient to a research organization so it can be done at home as I think one of our uh, uh, guests had, had described earlier, the importance of decentralized trials and being able to collect the data um, at home. All of that can be enabled by TEFCA and, and prioritizing that is, is gonna be really important. And so what that will take is working with industry to understand how do we think through consent? How do we think through de-identification and the transmission of this data in a safe, privacy-preserving way between health systems and research organizations? We don't have the answers to these yet, but it will require working in partnership between government and industry to answer questions like that as we build out this standard health record for research. So for those of you that were listening today to Mickey, you may have heard him refer to having in USCDI some of the um, therapeutic area specific data points, which is what Brian just spoke of. And the um, insider verbiage for that is M code. So now you can all walk out with some alphabet soup. But she threw a new alphabet soup in there on us, which was, um, FQHN, I think, was the FQHCs, one. FQHCs, Federally Qualified Health Centers. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of, yes. Yeah, you got to go easy on us with the, the, uh, um, 
the alphabet soup, but it's you're a, doing I mean, great with them. I, I think you know one of the points that hopefully everyone is hearing you know throughout the day and certainly here the importance of engaging patients that come from traditionally unreached populations is so critical moving forward as we build this new clinical infrastructure of the future. Um, we want everyone's stories to be told in this. We want these therapeutics to be correctly identified and tailored for the populations all throughout our society, not just you know highly educated urban people that are traditionally part of trials that come out of you know AMCs, academic medical centers. Excuse me. <laughs> the audience now knows I'm spicy, so I like to to push back a little bit. Um, so we talked about these RFIs and the information that you've received from them, um, and I know that you all work very closely together. Um, is there information that really stood out to you that you were like, aha, or was there information that you were like, I need more about that from those RFIs? Was there anything specific in there that you were like, wow, that, thank goodness these people responded? Because, and, and just so you know why I'm saying this, I'm trying to get all of you out there to respond next time so that you can know that they're really reading these. Um, so I'll let you guys answer. Um, well, I, first, a huge thank you to I've already seen today many, many people who come from organizations who responded to these RFIs, and I thank them all again because we really got a tremendous and very helpful set of responses to both RFIs. Um, there's, I, I would just highlight two things um, so that I don't talk too long, but one of them is um, in, in terms of areas from that, you know, having seen all of the responses, the RFIs that are, I think are really, really important to follow up on, um, one is how to establish trustworthiness in communities when we do clinical research. Um, this is something I think is on everybody's mind, but figuring out how exactly to do it is, is challenging because the traditional model of how trials get set up is not driven off of that. Um, and so that is one area that um, I and others I think are very actively thinking about. Uh, because again, it gets back to speaking about what does it mean to improve the clinical trials infrastructure. It means trying to make, you know, figure out a way to make this system work better for everyone, whether you are the pharma company who needs to do a more diverse clinical trial because you're under a mandate to do that for your phase three now, um, or whether, you know, you are, you are someone at an FQHC who needs to get your, your site involved in research so that people in your community can, um, you know, so that data can be gathered out of your community that's going to help them, you know, with the health issues that they struggle with. So that's something that's very much um, on our minds. Another thing, um, kind of switching gears, but it's also very important, and I know we'll talk more about this, is we talked about this specifically in the, um, the RFI on data capture. What are some ways to vet and pilot better ways to do data capture, data management, again, on a larger scale? You know, the, the technology is there to do this, and many of the people in this room already, you know, know how to use it, have developed it. The question is, the challenge is, how do we figure out how to do that across a broader number of sites um, when it's necessary to do so? So the, those are two things I would highlight. So, um, Jen, I gotta say, I'm feeling pretty impressed that I'm sitting next to somebody that's taking on the challenge of a group that went, uh, is growing out of what uh, DARPA um, created and um, really revolutionized industries, many industries. 
And so um, I promised I wasn't going to put you on the spot, so she may not be my friend after this. But um, I'll leave it open to all of you. So, so I wouldn't put Jen on the spot. But coming from that kind of group of people who can do those things and create such a change in an industry, and obviously everybody in this room is very focused on changing the industry. What it, can you share what your vision is or what you would like to see or where you would like to see it go? And, I, and I'm not calling on anyone individual so that you still be my friend. Um, but uh, yeah, what do you guys envision? Yeah. So there's a couple things that we're interested in doing. One, uh, we're, we're looking to build what we're calling ARPA-H, ARPANET H. Uh, so we want to build a nationwide network that does actually a number of things. So one will allow us to test technologies that are coming out of the ARPA-H program, so these new revolutionary advances that cross a number of different um, biomedical fields and also uh, potentially are doing advances on the artificial intelligence and the infrastructure side too. So we want this ability to reach all 50 states, folks from um, all different backgrounds and demographics in order to be able to test and see whether the technologies we're developing um, are helping people in the real world. And then we also have an aspect of that network that's really working to uh, build in support. So our investor catalyst network, supports from venture capital, supports from uh, folks that are familiar with regulatory processes so that as people are developing um, new, new products, there's a path toward commercialization and that type of thing. And along with that, we're very interested in um, making some core investments in uh, next generation of clinical trial infrastructure. So we want to be able to leverage uh, the infrastructure that the pharma industry and a number of our government partners have already put in place and then say, how do we, how do we move further? How do we say, make it so that we're pushing clinical trials closer to point of care, making it so that we can recruit people much more quickly? and make it so that we can take common protocols and distribute them easily across many sites and get the data back in a high fidelity way that makes it easy for us to reach patient populations that are representative of uh, the groups that we're trying to serve. Well, you're at the right conference because that's what we're trying to do too. Go ahead, Grail. Yeah, I just wanted to add something, picking up on what uh, Jen was saying. I'm, I think we're all incredibly excited about ARPA-H's interest in this space because I think they bring a really unique perspective in addition to their other resources on um, how, how to develop technology and how to fill, how to fill gaps. Um, and, and so I think, it's, I think it's really tremendous. I would, I would just add that in terms of, you know, aligned with what Jen was saying, what I, you know, in terms of aspirations for where I would like to see all of this go, um, I would love to get to a place where the whole, the whole community, all of us, you know, in, in the country are better able to uh, launch trials that are simpler, broader in scale, um, and can be more fit for purpose, right? I mean, it's, it's, it all depends on what, you know, not all clinical trials are going to be alike. There's going to be, still going to be a huge range, but we need to have um, a, a better ability to, to do things in a, in a simpler and more efficient and cost-effective way because clinical trials in general have just gotten way too expensive and it's not, you know, supportable, I think, in, in the long run. Um, and 
what I am really excited about is that I think we're at a moment where it is possible to make a lot of progress in, in doing that. Um, so one thing that I really want to get across is that part of, part of our goal at OSTP, and I think everybody's up here, is to really um, try to leverage the processes that are already out there working um, and try to bring them together and make them amplify each other. So we're not trying to you know, change the way everything is currently being done. We're trying to pick up on what's working, both in industry and in the government sector, um, bring it together and try to, try to make it work together in, in the most amplified way possible. So I know they're dinging me, but I'm gonna pretend like I can't hear them. Um, Brian, would you like to add anything? <laughs> and then I have one final question. Um, well, just li listening to Jen and Grail, yeah, I'm reflecting on, um, so there's this famous legislator from here in the Massachusetts area, for from here, you know Barney Frank. Uh, Barney once said, all government is is something that we decide to do together. Um, in addition to the, the technical advances that ARPA-H is going to be focusing on, one of the things that excites me the most about ARPA-H is its ability to pull different government agencies together to do something in a collected, coordinated way. And so in this specific space, right, bringing together the FDA, bringing together ONC, NIH, and ARPA-H, helping to lead the effort in how we rethink and redo clinical research, right, what are the new kinds of regulatory science that we need to think about if we're gonna look at things like causal inference or other kinds of machine learning models that can help impute, you know, the messiness of real-world data. Um, those are the things that really excite me, and I think that's, you know, part of the vision of the future for ARPA-H is how we bring government agencies together to do something really revolutionary for all of society. Well, I want to be a part of this, too, and um, ARPA-H sounds pretty cool to me, so if I want to get engaged, um, or any of the, my colleagues out here want to get engaged, can we be part of the party, too? We're very interested in uh, both recruiting folks to join the Ar ARPANET H. Look for announcements as soon as next week on how to get involved in that. Uh, and we're also interested in building public-private partnerships toward these common goals. Uh, so we'd love to uh, learn more about um, what you guys would like to see and how we might work together. Thank you all for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come. I really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information on the DFARM conference, editorial, podcasts, or webcasts, visit dfarmconference.com or theconferenceforum.org. Thank you for listening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.